For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Howdy, folks. Uh, StreamYard there was a little sluggish. Uh, well, we're back. Uh, we had, we had uh, a lot, very busy uh, day on Monday or Friday as well because uh, I was up covering game five, uh, the last game of the Maple Leaf season, and then Monday up there for locker cleanout, a very eventful locker cleanout day, very long uh, locker cleanout day. We'll discuss that in a minute. But as always, we'll start with the pre-show. Go ahead, Russ. Yeah, so um, I, I just saw a big signing for the PHF, and that's the um, the Metropolitan Riveters just signed Nora Rossi at in goal for a year, and she's a, like a generational goalie. So she, she could, if oh, she had a better team, yeah. she would have gold medals, right? But she mm-hmm. doesn't because she's on Finland, and we know what happens with the U.S. and Canada. But um, she's got a hell of a, a resume. Like just even this year. Her goals against 1.56, her save percentage, 943. Her save percentage in the playoffs is 924. 33, still at the top of her game. Lots of medals. She's got, and this is, again, four-time world championship bronze, two-time Olympic bronze. I mean, it's not her fault. But as far as fans who want to go see her, she's tremendous. And and she's a lot of fun to watch. And she's one of the best goalies I've seen in, you know, in the women's circuit really ever. So I just think it's great that that league was able to sign somebody like that and uh, to have her in the uh, New York metro area. That's a that's a big deal. She's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. She'll uh, she'll, she'll go in. So how yeah, old is she now, Russ? Thirty three. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, greater in an international career for sure. Um, Kev, I wanted to ask you because I we hadn't talked since before this was announced on Thursday. The Detroit Lions opening the NFL season against Kansas City. How, how does that? How did that uh, sound to Lion, longtime Lions fans? Oh, I mean, everybody's thrilled. I mean, you know, it just goes to show you that finally the uh, Lions have kind of arrived in terms of people see them as somebody worth uh, watching. So, yeah, I mean, there's just general excitement. I mean, it's as if. And, I, you know, when you're not in this market, it's really hard to explain. But it's like the the Lions won the Super Bowl last year, even though they didn't make the playoffs. You know, they had such a, a you know, an extended run. So there's such a, a high level of um, uh, interest in the, you know, the Lions that, um, you know, you, I don't think it could be topped. Well, you know, it's funny. Like, the Jets are going to be, I guess, like maybe six times premiered in uh, prime time and I don't have the same feeling you do because what ends up happening with the Jets is especially they're doing it because of Aaron Rodgers not because of the Jets and so it's going to go one way or the other it's going to go like hey this is great look at Aaron Rodgers look what he's doing for the Jets or it's going to be like boy this is a disaster but let's let's watch Aaron Rodgers on the Jets and see why this is going wrong that's how it goes for the Jets there's never that that point where you just explained that the Lions have finally gotten there, and that's why they're on. 
The Jets got there last year, and they still weren't on. They were only on because of Rodgers. Well, one of the biggest disasters of the NFL schedule last year was the propping up of the Denver Broncos oh, yeah. on prime on primetime games when they sucked, and Rod and Russell Wilson was terrible. And they, they they were on Thursday night, they were on Monday night, they were on Sunday night, and nobody wanted to watch the Broncos because they were terrible. So but even if Rodgers is bad, people are going to watch. That's the point. Well, yeah, it's like a car accident. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. I, yeah, I get that. Um, and by the way, it was funny. Cause I, I, like I said, I was up in Toronto yesterday and the Yankees were playing in uh, the blue Jays. I didn't even realize the, I would have probably stayed up there and gone to the game. If I had realized it was, I was just focused on everything that was going on with the Leafs. Um, and Josh Allen, the bills quarterback apparently was taking batting practice and hit four or five balls out of the park. And everybody's like, Oh my God, I can't believe this is an athlete. This is a, you know, I mean, okay, granted. granted us did the same thing. I mean. Austin well, Matthews hit it out of uh, out of the Rogers Center. This is batting practice pitching, too. So they're grooving right. it for the guys. Let's right. Not, I couldn't, Kev. I could never hit it out. But, you know, like maybe in my 20s, I could have hit it out of the infield. <laughs> but, yeah, but anyway. All right. Let's start the show. Hello, Hockey World. Today is Tuesday, May 16th, 2023. I'm Russ Cohen from Sportsology. I thought Mike looked there for a minute. <laughs> Kevin Allen. No, Russ, it was the fact that yesterday was such a lost day. I had to remember that today was Tuesday. And I'm Mike Lagello. This is the Hockey Buzzcast here on HockeyBuzz.com. Okay, so let's start with the center of the hockey universe, the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, losing to the Florida Panthers in five games, another overtime game. Um, I had – I had a ringside seat for the for game five, and we won't talk much about game five, but it was it was funny, Kev. Um, you know, Kyle Dubas was caught on the Hockey Night in Canada cameras uh, about that disputed goal, the goal that uh, Morgan Riley, well, everybody thought Morgan Riley had scored. Um, they 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 deemed that it was not a whistle, that a whistle had gone, um, so that the puck crossing the the uh, goal line was inconsequential because it had already been blown um i was up in the press box and actually heard like some leaf officials basically saying the whistle didn't go it it was sort of like you know that that was a cya for the league because they couldn't get a clear video uh um picture of of the puck going over the line and then I saw like five, 10 minutes after the fact, you know, like I know Chip Alexander, one of the reporter for, I think covers, used to cover Carolina or covers Carolina and other images on Twitter of the puck clearly over the line. So they didn't lose the series because of that. They had already lost the series, but that was sort of symbolic of, you know, I mean, maybe they could have gotten back into the series at that point, but they lost the series after losing the first three games and, We'll talk about the aftermath, but it was extremely disappointing that a team as talented as the Maple Leafs against a team that I think is talented, but not as talented, but they outworked them, they outgoaltended them, they outchanced them, and they beat them. Yeah, and, um, you know, it's most unfortunate, though, that they had that, you know, replay situation because, um, you know, people just had so much – I mean. You know, it didn't cost the Maple Leafs the loss, but people lost their minds over that uh, replay just for the reason is the puck was over the line. But, you know, they, 
you know, that had nothing to do with why it was overruled. And we, you couldn't get people to get beyond that. All they cared about that was that the puck was over the line. And, you know, um, that's just so hard to explain. And, you know, that's what I have said continuously. And it's all based on my experiences in the NFL. You know, we see replays all the time as a group and we don't agree what we see. And that's going to continue no matter what they do in the um, NHL, that we're going to continue to have these type of things. And, you know, you just can't put yourself in that position. And the Maple Leafs put themselves in that position by losing those three games. Right. Um, so, and, you know, I would even argue that, I, you know, they probably had played well enough to win other series, but not that one. You know, Florida, I thought, played exceptional. Um, and, you know, we're playing – above who they are um and you know did the maple leafs lose that series as much as the uh, panthers won it i i would argue the panthers won it more than the maple leafs lost it well i i, I agree i mean they deserve to win they out they outwork the leafs and russ this is this is my I, I look at the leafs and how they played in 11 playoff games they were, <clears throat> they were one and five at home so no home ice advantage, even though they were one of the best teams in the league at Scotiabank Arena all year. But that's the difference between regular season and playoffs. Yep. Scored two goals a game, exactly two, in the last seven playoff games. So their core guys, Matthews, Marner, Tavares, Nylander, didn't show up when the Panthers players did. They got another goaltending performance against them, like Carey Price, like Corpusallo, like Vasilevsky. Bobrovsky was the better. Their goaltending was not at fault. Their goaltending was not bad, but their goaltending was not at that elite level. So you click off all these things, and everything totals up loss. Yeah, I mean, I just had this conversation with Mick Kern on Sirius, and the um... – I didn't even mention the goaltending. I, I just mentioned that, the, you know, at this point, uh, and I think Sheldon keeps a decent coach, but he just can't go any further with this team. Like, he just can't. He's had enough time. It hasn't happened. There's something else going on. Like you said, there's three or four or five different things. I think when they sit down with the board, if they decide on Quenville or somebody else, or they come up with two or three names that are better than Sheldon Keefe, then Sheldon Keefe's going to be gone, right? I think – I think there's a great possibility of that. I would do it because I do think there needs to be some sort of change there. Now, as far as the players, I do support you breaking up the core four, but I do think it could be Marner or Nylander. I think you have to look and see what I'm getting the best value for and go accordingly because the problem with Nylander is he has been one of their best player performers. And even though Marner has way more points and is more dynamic in the regular season, he hasn't been more dynamic in the playoffs and that's where I have to see. I have to see what the marketplace is on that because there's things that I need with, with – if I'm running the Leafs, there's things that I need with this team that aren't matching up with the rest of the league. Now, I understand um, the bar is lower there because of just the futility that had existed before. But, again, you cannot be afraid to not make the playoffs. If you're going to run your organization afraid to not make the playoffs, right. you're never going to win. Well, and that's that's the that's the risk that Florida t- took with trading Huberdeau and right. Weaver for for Kachuk, and then actually Kyle Dubas mentioned that in his media availability. But let's go back to Keith, and I want to because Kevin uh, Ray Ferraro made an excellent point on uh, on TSN radio yesterday, and you know he says I think Sheldon Keith is a good coach, but if you needed a hint of what's going on inside that organization, when he criticized the Leafs players early in the year 
and then the next day came out and sort of pulled it back. You could basically get an indication there that Sheldon is sort of beholden to that core group and really can't call them out because, you know, they have the power. And I don't know how much power, but they have enough that, you know, if he is overly critical, then he goes down the road of, like, say, Mike Babcock, where he was critical, and then he loses the players. And you can't worry about losing the players. You have to coach them. And these players, as great as they are, as great as they are during the regular season, you know, they seem to do what they want to do in the playoffs, which is be not good enough to win. Yeah, there's so much to unpack with the Maple Leafs and with regard to coaching, because I'm in complete harmony with Russ. Um, I just feel like, you know, we all understand and appreciate that there's a shelf life with coaches, and it sure seems like we've reached that point with Sheldon Keefe. Uh, and I'm not sure that it's his fault. Uh, you know, you know, he's not out there. Um, you know, I mean, what what can he do? I mean, I'm, I'm sure he's tried all he can to try to get the top players to play as well, but um, played better than they uh, did in that uh, series. But, you know, I mean, it's the playoffs are so hard. And, you know, like uh, I was watching the Edmonton game and, uh, you know, Dreisaitl was exalted, exalted early on, and then now he's a bum. He <laughs> couldn't get it done. I mean, I've, I've seen online and it's just – it's absurd how people just huh. like – you know, is he less – of a superstar than he was at the beginning of that series when, you know, and now because he couldn't get a goal, like, does that, is that, you know, is that he an scored, indictment? He scored 12 goals. I mean, There's Austin, a lot of angry people. Let's no, say I, honestly, I, I mean, I, I mean, it's just so hard. That's why I'm saying, you know, the, the problem I have is everything that the, about this series is why Toronto lost it. And there's been very little, almost nothing about how the Panthers have won it. And some of that is the fact that there's, you know, little concern about the Panthers. You know, they, they don't even have a good quality fan base. They have, you know, some people who like them. But, you know, is there any franchise in the league that has less of an avid following than yeah. – um, like, They have, yeah, so. have 9,000 9, good fans and 10,000 uh, – sort of fellow travelers and fairweathers who decide they want to get out of the sun and, and watch a game in sunrise. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I'm casting aspersions at them, but then when on a Tuesday night, when you have the best team, a president's trophy winning team last year, and there's 8,000 people on a Tuesday night, I can't have a respect for that fan base. Um, but, but okay, let's start from, let's start from the top. We won't spend the whole show on this, but you know, it, the, changes potential changes with toronto could be seismic when it comes to you know where that franchise goes um starting from the top brendan shanahan did not show up at the media availability um they said he would be addressing the media in coming days that's being in, interpreted as you know maybe he's sort of working on you know, uh, getting an extension for Dubis, or maybe he's on his way out. Nobody seems to know for sure. So that was that was one. Um, the players, um, you know, essentially the mantra was the same for the core four. I love it here. Austin Matthews, I want to sign an extension here. I want, I've made it clear I want to be here. 
Um, John Tavares basically telling everybody to go F themselves when it comes to, and he didn't say that. I'm just saying he's they're asking him, do you want, will you waive his no, your no move clause? Of course he's not going to. That's the whole point purpose of adding a no move clause. He wants to play in Toronto. So, you know, he was never going to waive it. And I mean, I don't blame, I think it was Pierre Lebrun who asked the question. I don't blame Pierre for asking the question. It had to be asked, but nobody in their right mind is thinking that John Tavares is going to waive his no move clause. Marner has a no move that kicks in on July 1. Uh, Nealander has a, a limited no trade that kicks in on July 1. Nealander's got a year left. Um, of course, he said he loved Toronto. Marner said he loved Toronto. It doesn't matter Everybody if he loves it. Like, you know, this yeah. is my problem with the Leafs, too. There's a veneer that you get from the players at the end of the season, a veneer you can't break through. Everything's great. Everything we all love this place. It's fantastic. But we just can't win. See you, folks. See you next year. You right. know, it's like you can't get straight answers. Now, I'm sure in the exit interviews it's different, but I get why it's frustrating for fans because it doesn't matter. At some point, you don't care if they love the place. You want them to perform to their best of their ability and at least do better than what they're doing. They don't have to win the cup every year. No, they gotta like get to at least a conference final at some point. My God. Well, I mean, but but Kev, this is the thing, and I, you know, I'm not patting myself on the back because I have a sore shoulder, um, but I've been saying that this core could not win for four years; that the core had to be broken up, or at no. least a signal, a signal sent, a sig- Not now, you're not going to make a move by trading Neilander and say, okay, we're going to trade him and not get anything for him. I'm not for that. You have to improve the organization, and I, but I just think that what Russ said. They have this, you know, similar, part, similar pulse, similar uh, skill set. They all, they're all, you know, they're all fairly peripheral players. I mean, Matthews is the least peripheral of the four. They're all great players, but the combo, the the, it just does not work. And that's, you know, that the one thing that Dubas came out and said at the end of this availabilities is, I'm open to anything, meaning. And he cited the Kachuk deal. So he's not going to rush into something. He's not going to do something out of hand. But I think the whole, well, we believe in this core is over with. Yeah, I mean, that is a blanket statement is nonsense. Um, And you know it is um, because there are plenty of examples through sports history of guys that they said couldn't win who, you know, eventually won. Um, uh, You know, in my hometown, Steve Eiserman, great example um, of – you know, he can't win, you know, doesn't uh, step up playoffs until he did. And then he, he retired with three Stanley Cup championships. Um, so that does happen. However, saying all that, I mean, always, and it's just, it's the only, it's the only stick you have is that eventually if something, you can't keep going back to the same well if they don't win. You got to always change it up. So, I mean, the idea that they should trade one of their four I don't think that's radical. I think that's just what you do in sports because you got to, you know, you can't keep coming back with the same, uh, you know, group. So, you know, I, I, if they do that, I would get that. It seems logical to me, but they did say, you know, they can't win. I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, there are people now saying, you know, dry side, McDavid, they can't, they can't win. You know, well, they're power play guys. I mean, that's absurd. 
it's yeah. not it's not it's not radical but the thing is is that the the mantra from the leafs every single year at the end of the year is we believe in this group we believe in this group we believe okay you can believe in them all you want but the evidence is here five years of this core group and they haven't yeah. won and and you can't use the excuse of that they don't have support players because Kyle Dubas went out and got O'Reilly was really good in the playoffs. Achari was good. Shen, all the guys that they brought in were at least, you know, they were quality players. They provided structure and support. It came down to the fact that that core four group in that second round against Florida, Matthews and Tavares, big goose egg. Marner won, and Nealander was the best of them and had two goals in five games. When you're losing games by one or in overtime, the the lack of contribution, Russ, from those guys is fatal. Yeah, it's fatal when you don't get anything else either. Like, it's not fatal if your secondary story comes through too, but when it doesn't, you're going to get the blame. Yeah. You're making the, the bulk of the money. Yeah, and, and there's no there's no statute of limitation on how long it takes them. I mean, you know, again, I'm going to just talk about the Red Wings because I know about it, but it took Eisenman 14 seasons. Fedorov was in his ninth year that happened. There were many people that that said that group should have been broken up long before it happened because you know why? They couldn't win, Mike. The group group didn't have it. They'd lost big – you know, and they lost, you know, they lost the 93 to Toronto in the yeah. first round, game seven. They lost, they got upset by Jose in, in 94. Colorado got, beat them in 96. After they, beat them in 96. You know, they, they lost know. New Jersey in the Stanley and Cup final in 95. We yeah. didn't have talk radio. I mean, we had talk radio, but we didn't have, you know, podcasts. But there was somebody up there just like you saying it's ridiculous. You know, they can't win. You know, they, you know, but. What did the Red Wings do? Well, they changed some people. They brought in, you know, people. They didn't get rid of all the, you know, the talented players. They just changed around the edge and brought in, you know, some really dynamic um, players and defense. Yeah, I think it was easier then to do that. Without the now, it, was, it was easier to, yeah. to do it then. So now sure. we know that that's harder. It, that changes the landscape. I think Dubas does have to change and change a little bit from, hey, you can't be this super fast-paced offensive team because the NHL is going to call it differently in the playoffs, and you've got to be ready for that. Now, they were sort of ready for it with the guys that they got this year, but it, they, like Kevin said, they don't have enough of them. So yeah. now you've got to get and, – and the thing is, they did have too many guys that are on the edges that way, and I've been saying they need like a core guy who's a core winner who can yeah. be with them for three or four more years who could help get these guys through in the locker room when they're sitting there stoically or just – when you feel that they're nervous, that's the guy they need, and that's the guy that they probably could get for one of those other two players we're talking about. Right. I mean, there, there, there's two areas. There's two areas where everybody believes that they need to attack in terms of uh, one is that type of player that you just mentioned. Easier said than done. Kachuk is that type of player, but mm-hmm. he wasn't going to go to Toronto. The other one is a number one defenseman. Um, you know, because so, you know, Riley had a great playoff, but they, they do need somebody who can eat minutes, who is uh, sort of a game changer on the blue line. You know, maybe somebody who's younger, who, you know, like, and I'm not saying Keandre Miller is a number one defenseman, Russ, but a team like the Rangers who can't afford Keandre Miller and they're going to have to trade him. You know, it, that's a situation where Toronto could take advantage of it. Right. Um, but just on Dubas and then we'll move off at the Leafs. Um, nobody expected the fact that he was basically going to shut the door on being going anywhere else. 
Um, and that's what he did. He said, I'm either going to be GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs or essentially I'm going to take some time off. Cause he said this year was tough on his family. He got emotional, um, you know, and then at the end of the presser, he basically said, you know, I'm open to anything. And, you know, that's, I think that's, you know, that's a bit, he'll, if, if he is brought back, which I do believe he will, and there's some speculation. We, we had Rachel Dory on off the post on Sunday and she uh, thinks that Dubas is probably, you know, if, that there was, there's a structure of an agreement already in place. It's just a question right. of whether he wants to come back. And I, I think he does, but I, you know, I don't know for hundred percent sure. Um, but the price to pay on that might be him not bringing back Keefe, who's been his coach since the, since the Sioux. And if he doesn't bring back Keefe, then, you know, we, we've heard Quenville. We don't know whether Quenville has been approved by the league, Kev, or, you know, I mean, there you go all sorts of different directions in terms of a head coach. And then once you do that, then Austin Matthews wants to re-sign a contract and it has to be before July 1st for the Leafs to, you know, I think because they, they're not going to risk the no move clause and then him saying, Oh, we'll talk about this in the summer. And then him walking away from nothing. They, they, they just cannot do that. So the, all these sort of dominoes, it's going to be the next couple weeks, next three, four weeks are going to be unbelievable when it comes to Leafs and everything. Yeah. And I, I think they will do what you suggested. And I, like I said, I think it, you know, even though I don't think this group is beyond um, being fixed, I, I, I think it makes perfect sense to, you know, to, to, to make a major move because if you want to improve your defense or you want to get better goaltending, you're going to have to give somebody up to do that. So, right. you know, it does make sense. But I would, I, I don't know how Keith survives um, because he's, you know, he hasn't been, um, you know, he just hasn't been able, you know, there's no, even signs that they're, you know, turning the corner or getting at least in the postseason. So it's the same, it's the, it, it's the same old, same old. And that's, and you know, they're doing the same thing that they did under Babcock under Keith. And that's why, like I keep saying, it's, you know, when, when it all else fails, you go back to what hasn't changed and what hasn't changed is the, is the roster, the core of the roster significantly. Now, I just spent two seconds on this because uh, Flamester in the chat's like Gallant. Gallant would not be a good fit with Toronto. I I don't think. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. You know. The one thing you know, there's no doubting the uh, bona fides of Joel Quenville. Kev, he's won three Stanley Cups. He's a great coach. Yeah. We don't know about the dynamic with the league based on the whole thing with with Batman and you know the the Cow Beach situation, but we know how picky unish Joel Quenville is about his players and about players that either he likes and loves or players that he says can't play for me. And I, you know, I don't know whether that's a good fit. Yeah, it is. And it's going to be hard to know too. Like, you know, plus is Joel Quinville, the same, you know, coach that he was uh, when he was with the Blackhawks uh, in terms of, um, you know, does he have the same drive, the same passion? You know, he's older now. He's been away from the game. He did have success with Florida up until the time that you know he you know yeah. the first few months they were they they were the president's trophy winning team basically throughout. So I mean I know that Burnett took over and did a really good job, but they were good under Quenville too. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't know. That's that's the issue. So I, I you know I don't know where Bettman is on that, but um, you know he seemed you know it was pretty clear that Bettman thought. 
um, that uh, Quinville um, was responsible for, uh, uh, you know, his fingerprints were all over, if I can, you know, put it that way, mm -hmm. in terms of he, you know, he didn't want it coming out because he didn't want to disrupt his team. Right. Um, and I, I think uh, uh, that bothered uh, Batman. So I, I don't know. I don't know where he is on that. So it is going to be interesting whether he's a good team. I mean, he has won a championship. He knows he's climbed that mountain. He knows, uh, you know, how to get there. So, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, and if that if that happens, start the Patrick Kane rumors to Toronto. But but well, one little thing of uh, breaking news today. Remember, today is uh, Tempe, Arizona vote day. Yes. Um, and I'm looking online, and you could never tell that this is going to pass or not pass. There's equal representation for vote yes or vote no. But I see that local lawmakers are making promises, even like as people are going into the polls. They're like, well, you know, this is going to pass now. We're going to do this for this. And it's like there's such a desperation in both ways, in both directions, that there's really no way of me telling which way this is going to go. I still feel like in the end it's not going to happen, but it'll be interesting. And we're going to know probably in 24 hours. Yeah, I don't – you know, I have a feeling it's going to be defeated too just because you look around the country and those type deals or those type of votes usually get turned down now. So the days yeah. of – of um you know getting civic cooperation to build arenas and that kind of thing seems over if it costs the taxpayer any money that nobody I mean, wants they're to claim the league is claiming it doesn't cost the taxpayers anything and they're cleaning up a site but then they have to pay for the cleanup like there's always hidden costs i feel oh yeah so, for sure you know both sides are always going to have their their agenda or their argument to try and sway it but i think you're right kev it's hard and so we'll, we'll see. We're going to keep an eye on it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Um, okay, so let's move to – well, let, let's just briefly talk. Last night, uh, Dallas uh, eliminates the Seattle Kraken in Game 7. Dallas moves on to the conference final for the second time in three years. They were – they made the cup final in the in, – obviously in the uh, in the bubble. Um Russ, I mean, I, I picked Dallas. I went, I, I went four and zero, folks, in the conference final. I hope you bet your money. Um, I, you know, Dallas obviously, I think was the more talented team, and I went with the more talented team. Um, they had the better goaltender. I went with the better goaltender, and I give Seattle a ton of credit. They got a lot farther than anybody thought that they were going to. But in the end, the better goalie and the better talent won. Yeah. So a couple things. I, you know, again, it's hard to win when the talent, there's a talent gap between the two teams. I mean, you could have great coaching and the coach can coach it up the way Dave Haxtell did. But um, I watched a lot of the pre-stuff yesterday because I'm a big Gabe Seven guy and I like to kind of know what the vibe is and what the feel is. And Tyler Sagan gave one of the really great pre-game interviews kind of like, hey, this is an opportunity. We're just happy to be here. This is, you know, we're relishing this. We love it, whatever. Switched to Dave Haxtell, and he looked a little tight from what I know of Dave Haxtell, and I've covered him for a bit. And he was just a little stiff. He was saying the right things, but he looked a little stiff. He clearly had never been in this position before, and it's not why they lost the game. But I did feel like something was going to happen with Dallas. And, again, and this is one time where Tony Soprano can be right here. Um, I had Wyatt Johnston second in my Calder voting for a reason. Uh, because he's a goal scorer and he's helped transform this team back into a winner. Uh, again, he scored the game seven goal. 
which is the young, he was the youngest guy to do it for game seven winner at 20 years old. He should have been in that top three. He just should have been. It, you know, I understand you want to argue Stuart Skinner, but I'm telling you, Johnston's impact on this team is is even greater. And but whatever. At the end of the day, Sagan back the clock, and he was making some tremendous moves in that game. Miro Haskinen, if you go look at his ice time, is insane. What he's been, he's been playing the part of like two defensemen, and so. I just don't think Dallas – I don't think Seattle had it in them. I just – it's not their fault. I mean, you know, Yanni Gord, all those guys, they took it as far as they could take it. It's just was – you know, Dallas was just going to win out because they just – they had a little bit more experience, but they had just more firepower. And Rupe Hintz, we always forget him too, but he had a really good game. Kev, uh, in a different context, Ray Ferraro said something yesterday that I think is applicable to Seattle. He was talking about his days with the Atlanta Thrashers, and he said – yeah, we had a, the number six defenseman taken care of. We had 11 of them. We just didn't have a one through five. In Seattle, I think they have a, a boatload of three, four defensemen and third line forwards. They've got one guy right now in Matty Beneers, who's, what, 20 years old, who I think is, is a first line guy. Uh, and, you know, there's some Aaron McCanns and guys filling in, but there's I don't think they have a ton of top six guys. They just work their butt off. They beat Colorado. They forced Dallas to get to game seven. I don't think their goaltender is particularly strong, but he played well in the playoffs. In the end, they just – Dallas had more high-end talent, and that's why they won. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair um, for sure. I mean, uh, I, I think you have to give Seattle credit for, you know, just – you know, taking that confidence that they had and running with it. I mean, some of the guys that you mentioned, uh, I would add done to that mix, just have seized the opportunity that they've mm-hmm. had. And, you know, like I I think Dunn, you know, is a top four guy. Could even yeah. You could make a case with his offensive ability, he could be a top two or, uh, offensive guy. You know, mm-hmm. he's not there in terms of the all-around game, but, you know, he's there. So I think it was pretty uh, – impressive just to get back to that rookie of the year the thing about that vote that's so remarkable to me is historically and i looked at this really closely when i was president and i know it's true uh writers tend to look at points for rookie of the year uh you know that's a a significant part of how they yeah historically that's always been the case so it is surprising to me that a guy who actually did score and looked good and was was you know, did it at a very young age and, you know, did that, did, didn't get in. And the other thing is traditionally writers ignore, ignore goaltenders totally. And yet they didn't this time and, and went with Skinner. So I don't know why that was, but it happened. That is really kind of a real outlier. Maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's, we're going to see a change now. It's, It's weird. It's weird because, Johnston was the second highest, I believe, uh, to Beneers, and Michelli from Arizona was in the top three or four. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't get uh, obviously. He, I think, you know, he didn't get uh, a lot of votes or didn't get enough to get in. That one for me in like fourth, fourth place. I mean, I can. I'll just say, yeah, my 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 ballot. I had two defensemen and I had a goaltender. So you know, that was that. That's sort of unusual, but I think that you know. Owen Power and Jake Sanderson and Skinner were deserving of it. So. There were a lot of guys. I do want to mention to the chat room, look, um, I get that Seattle hit three posts. They could talk about that on the golf course. Like, that could be a great conversation. It doesn't get you a win. 
Uh, and also, look, Matty Veneers, I don't know how many times I'd have to talk about him this year and say he's the difference. He's the difference because he is their best player on their top line, and that's their best line. So that was a big reason why Seattle also was much better this year, besides the other things they did. Now, if Jaeger Furkus and Shane Wright can come in at Shane Wright next year, hopefully, Furkus maybe in a couple of years, right. and they add a little more scoring power, they're going to be there again. But, you know, right now, I do feel like they were, they were coached up to the point where they exceeded expectations, and good for them. I now, want to just throw in here, just because I remember Patrick Waugh telling me this when we were talking about shots on goal about the other team had put on. It was a playoff game, and he goes, uh, a shot off the post is not even a shot on goal. Like, why are we worried about those? Like, why are we worried about those? It's, it's not even a shot on goal. Um, one other thing about that game, you know, good goaltending and stingy defense are really nice. They really are. But if you want to have success in the playoffs, it seems to me you just hire Pete DeBoer. You know, four different teams in the first year he's on those teams, takes them all the way to the conference final. Only one other coach has done that. Or no, no other coaches have done it in his first year. Only one has been able to do it with four different teams, and that's Scotty Bowman, who did it five times. So, how many cups does he want? Yeah, yeah, no, no, for sure. But you give Pete DeBoer some credit, and uh, you know, and uh, you know, for being you know successful. And you know, I would argue, did you think Pete DeBoer had Stanley Cup championship teams when he lost? I certainly didn't think that San Jose team was. No, the San Jose, definitely not. I mean, yeah. well, or, New, or New Jersey in 2012. North Jersey, for sure. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I don't think he's had it. So. Yeah, I know. I mean, you just put a mirror image of Peter DeBoer on one side and Bruce Boudreau on the other when it comes to Game 7s. It's unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, I, I so wish, and we'll, we'll have to talk about it when he's here because I, I will want to pile drive him. Because I so, I so wish that Eck was here right now when we talk about the Edmonton Oilers, who went down to the Vegas Golden Knights uh, on Sunday on Sunday night, losing five to two. Um, you know, again, the flaws of the Edmonton Oilers were borne out in that series. Uh, I thought Vegas was the better team, no doubt, Kev. The two best players in that series were Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid. But I heard somebody talking about this series. And in the end, maybe this was a shortcoming of Woodcroft as there were sort of some shortcomings with Sheldon Keefe in Toronto. In the end, he went with McDavid and Dreisaitl like 24, 23 minutes in, in, that, in that situation. And, you know, in that, in that game, in an elimination game, did not play his bottom six guys enough. And he went with the rookie goaltender because he didn't trust the other goaltender. So maybe maybe Woodcroft cost in the series, but I just think Vegas was the better team. I thought they were the more complete team. But what were your thoughts? Yeah, they 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 played better. Vegas did for sure. Um, you know, but you know, it was certainly possible that uh, the Oilers could have won that series. This was a good opportunity that they um, really missed out on, especially given the way that Drysaddle was playing early in the. Um, in that series, but, you know, give Vegas credit. I mean, one of the things that I thought, and I made this comment today on radio is, is that um, when you look at the game at the end of this series, what you see is, and, you know, it's funny because the guys who were involved were some of the original uh, Vegas Golden Knights, the misfits. I mean, they, this team does have a misfit 
uh, feel to it. Like it's more about the team than it is one individual player. Although I thought Jack Eichel had a tremendous. Oh, he was great. He was great. Yeah. And he's, um, you know, and all the points that Dreisaitl and uh, McDavid had were all power play and Eichel's points are all five on five and, Five on five, in my mind, is where Edmonton lost that series. So, Although yeah. um, McDavid did not like getting asked that question because he said they all count the same. Um, some well, that's happen. true. They do, but I know. Right, but the problem problem is, is in the playoffs, the you don't get as many power plays as you Correct. know. No, and but, but he had he had ten points in the series. I because I wrote about this. He had ten points in the series, and seven of the ten points were power play were were power play points and Eichel had nine points in the series and only two of the nine were power play points. So he scored seven points, five on five. Yeah, I, listen, I give him the little edge on that. There's no question. Um, I mean, Vegas is overcoming their little bit of deficit in net, which I think, you know, they could have had stronger goaltending. If they did, um, they might be able to win the Stanley cup. They still might win it, but I think if they had just a little better goaltending, I think they would be the overwhelming favorite. Um, even though I know I know they're one of the two favorites, uh, I like what Eichel did. I like their defense. Petrangelo is a beast. All of that. Edmonton, listen, Woodcroft needed to put Campbell in because you owed it to Connor McDavid to try something else. Because if you look at what Skinner did his last few games, he was giving up four goals, and it's like he wasn't going to be your answer. Uh, he's your goalie for the future. That's fine, but for that one game, you could have put Jack Campbell in to see what you had. You didn't go there. You chose not to, and you're out of the playoffs. So now you have that. That will always be unanswered. And to me, it's a bad thing to have unanswered. And if I'm Ken Holland, I got to ask Woodcroft why, because he did have that one good, you know, effort and relief, really, really good. And then he never saw the ice again. So that's a question between the coach and the GM. And that's a big question because again, I think they get one more kick of the can for, with Connor McDavid. And then I think he starts asking for a trade while well, he's got a couple years left on his deal. So I think they're at that point now. Um, yeah, I don't – Randy in the chat says, do you think Woodcroft gets fired now? No, no. I don't. No, because last year I think was his first full year. So, yeah, yeah second year. But yeah. – but the thing, but the thing, the thing here is, is that I, I think that them not going to Campbell was just a just a statement of their lack of trust of Campbell. Now he, you know, he came in in games in the game against LA and one of the games here, and he played well. But it's easier to be the goalie who comes in after the other team has scored four or five, and sort of cl- and mop sort of mop up than it is to be the guy when the game starts zero zero. And you know, maybe Skinner play 35 games for him next year. And he's got four more years. Well, on that, that, Well, that was what I was going to say. I mean, you know, yes, you can say, well, wipe the slate clean, come back and everything is beautiful. He's got four years left at 5 million bucks. They can't buy, they can't buy Campbell out. You can't trade him. So yeah, you're going to have to find a way to find a way to play. That coach is going to have to play him. So I, you know, I just think that was a tactical error. I don't know if that would have won the series for him or not. But again, it's a tactical error that they just didn't explore. So we'll talk about Vegas, Dallas, and we'll talk about Carolina and Florida. Um, but I, I, I let's just touch on one one thing with, with Edmonton before before we end the show, because um, Russ referenced it. Because we're we're talking about the whole Leaf thing about whether you know the Leafs will sign Austin Matthews to an extension, which I think they will. Um, uh, you know, and Marner and Nylander. Okay, and I, I, you know, I've been sort of playfully harping on the McDavid Drysital thing. Okay, Drysital is making eight and a half million dollars. 
he's going to want to get paid like being, you know, he's going to want to get money closer to what McDavid's getting, you know, 12, 11, 5, 12, 12 and a half. McDavid, you know, once Matthews becomes the highest paid player in the league this summer, will on his next deal, he'll jump ahead. It's that type of thing. But Kev, McDavid is now what, 27 years old, 26 going on 27? Yeah. He hasn't been to a Stanley Cup final. He hasn't won a Stanley Cup. I'm sure there's, there's some impatience. They they threw away the first three or four years of his career because they were just still an organization that was just mishandled. And at yeah. a certain point, at a certain point, he's gonna want to say, get me the hell out of here. I, I I agree with you to a certain extent. I had this conversation with an agent and I asked him, and he said, you know, the problem with that thinking now, which made a lot of sense in the old days is it's so hard to determine where you ought to go. So he said, you know, most, you know, when we have this conversation now, we end up talking about how much do you like it there? And if you're enjoying yourself, if you like the city, if you like, uh, you know, living there the majority of your year, then you end up staying. And if you don't, then you say, okay, I'll go try to find a place where I can win. But he said, it's so hard that you've got to weigh other factors. You know, how much does your wife like it? Or, um, you know, do do you have a nice house? You know, those kinds of issues are much bigger now um, because, you know, with 32 teams and with parity in the league, like, you know, at the start of last year and you said, okay, I'll put you on one team um, where you, any team you want to go win a cup, like where would you have gone? And where would you be now? (laughs) You know, like you might not even be in the playoffs. Yeah, you know, it's it's harder. So, you know, that kind of conversation isn't as cut and dry as it used to be. Uh, It becomes it evolves into more of how much do you like playing there? Do you like your teammates? Do you like your line mates? You know, all those kind of issues are are a little bit um, bigger than they used to be. And it's less, you know, because you don't know where to go. Um, You know, so it used to be there before five teams and now there are. 12. One yeah. more one more thing to watch this offseason. Slava Malamud the other day basically uh, took a quote from Evgeny Malkin. I guess he this was in a in an article maybe in Russia. And Malkin said, I think Putin's forest policy is correct. We arm ourselves. This is right. We should protect our home. I never liked it when they said we should be friends with the West, with the U.S. We have no friends. Yeah. So um, that's a pretty big deal because again, you I don't know how you're going to sell that to the Pittsburgh fans at this point. Uh, I think this could put Malkin on the move because I don't feel like this is going to go over well with their ownership. And I do think at some point, you know, they have to look at Malkin and say, you need to get out of this market because fans here, blue collar U.S. city here, they are not going to like your attitude. Yeah, that may be true, but I think we do need to point out that that was said not this week, but ten. No, years. no, it wasn't this week, but he did yeah. say it. No, he did say it, but I mean, you got you got to be. That's fair. You know, you you got to say when that was said. That was ten years ago. It wasn't like he said it this week when. Okay. You know, he didn't say it this week. Yeah. And if and if it was if it, it was, was if it was said a week ago, it would matter where he said it because it's he you know you, it may be defendable to say that if you're in Moscow or something like that because you're you're at home and you're worried about the ramifications. If you don't say that, I mean, that, that's everything. The article says yeah. it 2019. So it was a couple of years ago, no. four, four years ago. 
No, well, I don't know. I re I read the whole exchange. I'm pretty sure it was said. Yeah. Okay. 10 years it says, ago. Conversation with Kenny Malkin is attributed in the article to 2019, but not in this tweet. Okay. Um, one okay. last one last thing. Uh, Chris, Chris Johnston from TSN uh, this morning said the MLS and the board has finally is finally willing to grant Dubis a contract extension after declining to do so last summer, but there's a desire to wrap things up quickly. We're talking as early as Tuesday or Wednesday, according to sources. So if that's the case, if that happens in the next 24 to 48 hours, which I don't find uh you know, a long shot. I think if they, if they you know, they want to get it done, it'll get it'll done. Be wrapped up then. It'll I mean, get wrapped up quickly. And then that's one less thing. Then it's the coach. Then it's the, and I think once that's wrapped up, then you'll hear from Brendan Shanahan. Cause maybe right. that was right. So yeah, I think again, if you're married long enough, I know <laughs> what he talked about as far as his family and his kids, and we're going to have a conversation. They've already had that conversation. If my wife didn't want me to be in the job, uh, she would have, I would have already known before I went in that press conference that she doesn't want me to, to, to extend this job. Right. So I don't think that's it. I just think he wanted to step away and make sure that it's the right decision, period. And I think he'll, he'll stay with it. Okay, great show, guys. Uh, we'll, we'll reconvene tomorrow when Eck will try to destroy me about my point of view on the Oilers and, and try to destroy me about my point of view on the Leafs. Um, I'm sure everybody will want to watch that for Kevin Allen, for Russ Cohen. I'm Michael Legello. Thank you for watching. And remember, without the buzz, it's just hockey. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit